these shiurim are all based on a review of Nach. Nach is Nevi'im Iksumim, which begins with the story of Yahushua taking the Jews into Israel after the passing of Moshe Rabbeinu. We're going to go through these shiurim, the stories of Nach, with all the commentaries, or as many as possible, from the Gemara and other Sifri Kedish. We have started this uh, previously, but I believe it was at a time when the weather was extremely bad, and I'd like to go for a slight, very brief review of the past year. Just a few words of review, then we can continue on further. The Nabi begins with the story of Yeshua taking the Jews into Israel, and his first step was a miracle that emulated the mess that Moshe Rabbeinu demonstrated to the Jews in dividing the waters of the Red Sea. Yeshua divided the waters of the Yarde, the River Jordan. All the Jews crossed over this river of dry land, and Yeshua, his first step was to send spies to the city of Jericho, Jericho. Two spies, they were Kolev, his partner, and Pinchas, the Kohen Gadol. These two spies came to Jericho. They were given a haven, refuge, the home of Rachov, who hid them until they could leave safely. And then the Jews attacked the city they marched around it for seven days. On the seventh day, the wall of Yericho sank into the ground. They conquered the city. They destroyed everyone there except Rachav and her family. I just want this is a review of last week's last shear. One point, though, to dwell upon a little bit longer. We mentioned the fact that Rachav, this woman, was a Zoda. The word Zona means an illicit woman who had affairs with different types of men for profit. The word Zona also means one who provides. Hazon umifardes. Coming from the word Mizonos, food. There is a discussion as to which one of the two applies to Rachav. However, the Gemara states very clearly that Rachav was an Isha Zona who was very much coveted desired by princes and kings who all came to seek her favor. Despite this fact that Rachav had so colorful a past, a long past because she was approximately 50 years old at this time, but still, Imara says that she was, she possessed such a rare beauty that no one could resist her. In fact, those who knew her, who saw her once, could never forget her. Yet she had descended so low, this point of illegal traffic with lords, princes, and despite this point, she had a strong desire to convert because she was imbued with a deep, true faith. She was the only one who recognized the, the future would be a victory for the Jews and that the Jews were truly the chosen people of Hashem.
So she did her part in taking the risks of protecting these two spies and then asking them to save her life, preserve her and her family, which was granted. The end was that she did convert and she was rewarded by having Yehoshua, who was the holiest person in the world, next to Moshe Rabbeinu, marry Rachav. This means that a person can rise to the lowest depths, the very lowest, and become the king or queen of the world, spiritually. This was the case of Rachav, about whom, too, the Zohar Kodesh says that it was not just in this world that she rose so high, becoming the wife of Yeshua, but she also had a special place set aside for her in Gan Eden eternally, again proving that no person should ever give up hope. If he feels, and it, if his feelings are correct, that he is the lowest person in the world, the worst person, he has sinned the most, he still has the opportunity door is still open to him to become the greatest person in the world. He just needs that desire, that true desire, that true will to return to Hashem and Hashem will accept him back. There's no such thing as a person having passed the point of no return. That does not exist. There was one detail though in this story the Gemara adds that Yeshua married Rachav. Of course, they lived happily ever after. One thing was lacking, though no fault of Rachav's. She never had a child. She never had a son. Yeshua had no sons, and this was due to a misdeed on his part. The Lord says that any person who states a did, a Hebrew law, in front of his rabbi, the penalty is death. There was one time when Yeshua made a statement of law in front of his rabbi Moshe Rabbeinu, and this statement was made, the intention was to give honor to Moshe Rabbeinu. There's a whole story about the Chumash, we won't go into that detail now, but his kavana, his intentions were pure and good for the sake of honoring Moshe Rabbeinu. But because he stated a law in front of Moshe Rabbeinu, his penalty, which should have been death, was commuted for a punishment that was equal to death. If a person has no children, then he is considered a living corpse. So that Misha'elo Bonim, no children, is the same as a death penalty. That's why Rachel, she begged Yaakov Avinu, she said, help me, give me children, if not, I am dead. The Lord says, but here we learn that no children is a curse that is just as bad as death itself. This is why Yeshua lived with Rachel but never had sons due to this one act on his part. However, strangely, the Zorah Kodesh seems to disagree with this because Zorah Kodesh says that there were four people in the world who never committed a sin 
the moment they were born to the day they passed away. According to the Gemara, the Zara Kodesh says we add a fifth name. The name of Yehoshua also never committed a sin in his lifetime. So this act, apparently, the statement of his part, because the intentions were so pure, is not regarded as a sin in his part, though the penalty was executed against him. Now from here, from Yericho, they moved on, and this was the first victory they enjoyed. They had to do battle against 31 kings in Israel. The second city they went to attack was the city of Ai, city or land, part of the country, the land of Israel, was divided into different countries, different kings. They went against the kingdom of Ai, Ai and Yud, and in this battle, Yeshua sent a small number of soldiers. In this first battle, 36 Jews were killed. He had been guaranteed by Hashem that no Jew would die. The Jewish army was repulsed, 36 dead, but Yeshua was shocked. Now this we find in the Navi, just to add a small point, the Gemara says that this, the wording of the Navi is that he sent 3,000 soldiers figuring it was an easy battle. And the Pusik says that the people of Ai killed approximately 36 Jewish men. How could the Torah say approximately 36 men? Every Jewish life, every Jew is like a world. How do you say approximately? You can't count the exact number of casualties? The Gemara says, Kish Ish means they killed like 36 men, which means that they killed one single person and he was equivalent to 36. Now one man being as great as 36 men means that he's very good, but you might get 36 ordinary people, so there's no real bargain there. The Gemara says 36 meaning 36 of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, that means the Supreme Court, the chief rabbis of the Jews, consisted of 71, 71 rabbis. Majority is 36. That means that this one person, whose name was Yoir Bebenasha, was the equivalent of the majority of the entire Sanhedrin. So great and so holy was he, he fell victim in this battle. This was a great blow to Yeshua, and he tore his clothes in mourning. He began to cry and to pray to Hashem, and Hashem replied, the reason this happened was, the reason there was defeat, is because Chata Yisrael, the Jews have committed a sin. They have gone against my command. I stated that when you destroy you conquer and destroy Yericho, Jericho, everything in that city should be wiped out. Do not take any loot from that city. Destroy every last vestige of the city. Somebody did take some treasures from there. And because of that crime, the blessings were taken away from the Jews. They had to pay for it. Yeshua asked Hashem, who is that one? Let me punish him. Hashem said, 
you'll draw lots of all the 12 tribes of Israel and then one of those will come out as the guilty one for that tribe you'll draw lots again decide which family for that family you'll draw lots a third time to decide which individual you have to go through a long process of drawing lots two questions first place we know the Gemara says in Hedrin that Hashem said to Yeshua Chodko Yisrael the Jews committed sins he did not, Hashem did not say a sin was committed he said the Jews committed sins the Gemara says note this word that when a Jew commits a sin no matter how great a sin it is can cause the death of so big a tzaddik it is still a Jew committed a sin he does not lose his identity he is still a Jew no matter how evil and sinful a Jew is he is still a valuable individual he is a Jew because at any given moment he can return to Hashem and become a good Jew but the title that blessed title of Jew still remains second point of course was Yeshua asked Hashem who is guilty Hashem said don't ask me draw lots why why go through this long process Hashem could have said this person was the guilty one and that's it Gemara says because there are three sins that are considered three major crimes worth the worst possible sins in existence one is idol worship the second is murder and the third is adultery each one of these three are punishable by death these are the three worst sins possible yet there is one sin that is so serious it is as bad as these three combined and that sin is Lashon Hara to speak evil about a Jew is as bad as the combination of all these three sins Hashem said to Yeshua when I say that Lashon Hara is so great a crime do you want me to commit a crime like that? I teach Jews not to speak Lashon Hara want me to say a bad word about a Jew that this individual committed the sin of stealing of taking the city of Yericho I will not say that let the truth come out through the drawing of lots a miracle will bring out the right one but I will not pronounce the name of the guilty person so we see from here that the the humbleness Kaviyachal the modesty of Hashem himself and being so careful so cautious they're not emitting a word that could be construed as Lashon Hara now they drew lots and of course the guilty one came out this was Achon his name was Achon who had taken some of the cherem, some of the spoils from the city of Yericho Yeshua told him you have been the one you have been determined as the guilty person through the drawing of lots now I ask give honor to Hashem by confessing your sin there are two reasons for that first place confess because these lots are a miracle of Hashem if you refuse to confess then you could throw a bad light upon 
faith itself. Because Ochel was prepared to say to Yeshua, how do you find me guilty by drawing lots? I could show you a better way to draw lots. Let's take a choice between you and the Kohen Gadol. Yeshua and the Kohen Gadol will draw lots. One of the two is guilty. It's very easy to prove anyone guilty that way. Yeshua said to him, give honor to Hashem by confessing, for one thing. And secondly, if you confess the mitzvah of vidui, confessing a sin before Hashem is so great, that by confessing alone, a person can have the sin completely erased as far as the future is concerned, so that you must die for this sin. But you're guaranteed you'll die only once. Die once means that you die here, but you arrive in heaven pure. You will die for this sin, but you go directly to Gedeon. Now, Ochon, being a good Jew, regretted his act and stated, true that I committed a sin. I did as follows. I took, I had a desire to get certain types of treasures there. I regret this now, and I want to repent for this sin as far as the future is concerned. Ochon was put to death by Skila, by stoning. The sin was erased. And the Jews advanced on to the city of Ai again, this time, of course, proving completely victorious. But this time we find a strategy used by Yehoshua, who was the commander-in-chief of the Israeli army, a strategy that's been used recently by the present-day Israeli army in the Battle of 67. Well, the strategy used by Yehoshua and this battle against the city of Ai was a very simple one, yet it worked so beautifully. Naturally, we must uh, preface this statement with the, again, the guarantee by Hashem. If you will listen to the command of Hashem, if you believe in Hashem, remain loyal to Hashem, you don't really need wars. Wars are just there as a motion and action to appear as a battle because Hashem doesn't need weapons with which to win a battle. One person can pursue an entire army if Hashem wills it. We have seen that happen in the Six Day War. All we need is just that Hashem inject a fear, a panic into the enemy and they flee. A shadow can make them flee. Yet this was a lesson to teach us for the future. This uh, first act of actual battle with Ai, Yeshua selected 30,000 soldiers and he told them to wait behind the city of Ai, one section behind, <coughs> one on each side, wait there in the dark that is surrounding the city, and then Yeshua himself with the bulk of the Jewish army would come advance onto the city, a frontal attack. The city of Ai would be overconfident. They defeated the Jews the first time, they had nothing to fear. So, as he advanced with his army, the king of Ai came to, out to greet him with the entire army of Ai. Yeshua feigned, pretended fear, and ordered a retreat to the part of his soldiers. The, the uh, king of Ai urged his men on, attack and destroy. That was his command. 
in order to attack and destroy, they had to leave the city of Ai completely. Yeshua began to flee with his army. They left the city of Ai. When they were completely outside of the city of Ai, Yeshua turned suddenly, held up his spear very high in the air, and this was a signal for the three other branches of the army to enter into the city. They did this immediately, set fire to the city, and high large pillars of smoke and flame rose up in the air. The people of Ai, the army, turned back and saw their city in flames. This, of course, <coughs> broke their morale, broke their hope. And then they were being attacked from all sides. They were completely wiped out. The king of the city of Ai was taken captive as a prize for Yahushua himself. He was killed by Yahushua to show that there is no mercy shown to evil Goyim. A person cannot say, this is a human being, no matter who he is or what he is, he must have mercy on him. There's a, a vital lesson the Torah teaches us. If you ever have pity, compassion, for someone who does not deserve it, then this is the highest degree of Achzorius, sadism, and heartlessness. A person would say he has pity on a Hitler, or on a Homan, or on a Nasser, or a Sadat, or on a Syrian soldier. Because he is a human being, that person is misconstruing the word human being. There are those who, who look like humans, they are shaped like humans, but they are not human. They are far worse, lower than animals. At that time, it's a mitzvah to destroy and wipe out. Torah itself says that it is a crime to have pity on those whom Hashem commands to be wiped out. A person would allow one of the tribe of Amalek to live. That's the same as allowing a poisonous snake to live and to destroy innocent human lives. And therefore, to get off topic for a moment, one of the painful items of today is the permissiveness, the lack of justice that prevails in today's courts, the extensive crime rate, the rise of crime rate, which according to the Torah is due to the fact that there is no punishment meted out to criminals. True deterrent to crime is punishment. A person commits murder, he must be put to death. A person commits a felony or an ordinary crime, a misdemeanor, he must be punished for it. To release a criminal, to allow him to go out to society, means to invite further attacks and further crimes by this person. That the Torah does not condone at all. First rule is wipe out evil and crime through a punishment that fits the crime. If judges will be lenient, they are not doing the criminal a favor. But more important, they are the guilty ones who are hurting innocent people, innocent citizens. There are thousands and perhaps tens of thousands of people today who have died, innocent victims to criminals, because of the leniency of judges who consider themselves liberal, good-hearted, when actually they are the most cruel people on earth. These judges who release potential dangerous criminals. 
they are the essence of cruelty. This is what the Torah teaches us, where Yeshua himself took the king of the city of Ai and killed him, the same as Shmuel Hanavi, Shmuel the prophet, who was an old, venerable tzaddik, who would never hurt a fly, an insect, an animal, himself took a sword and displayed this point by killing the king of Amalek, a guy. Not just killing him, but by cutting him into four quarters to show that there is no mercy to be shown to the real evil people that exist. This was the second battle that Yeshua held in Israel. This time, of course, the battle was victorious. They wiped out the city of Ai. Then they advanced further to go on to battle other nations, other countries, or other lands, divisions of Israel. Before they could go further, though, a little incident took place where there was a city called Gibbon. The people of this city began to realize that this juggernaut, the Jewish people, Jewish nation, were victorious throughout, and that defeat was imminent for every nation in, in Israel. Well, there was no turning back, there was no surrender for these nations. The command was given to Yeshua, wipe out and destroy. Leave no one remain. All males must be killed. No nation could say we surrender or we want to make peace. It was too late now. The Gemara says that offer was given by Yeshua before the end of Israel. They had the last chance to surrender and become servants to the Jews. If they refused then, there had to be a war to the finish. The people of Gibeon realized this. They could not offer themselves as slaves to Yeshua or to surrender. It was too late. They devised a scheme. They sent a group of their men, emissaries, dressed in old clothes, tattered clothes, with a uh, deep layer of dust on them, and animals too that were filled with dust, very tired, seemed as though they'd been traveling for days, weeks, and months. They came to Yeshua, and they said to him, we are from a very distant land. We heard about your exploits. We want to offer a treaty of peace with you. Yeshua said, where are you from? And he said, very far, not from this country. And without uh, having any reason not to do so, Yeshua made a peace treaty with them. In addition, the peace treaty was, meant that there'd never be a battle between the two. They were not satisfied with this. They asked that the Sanhedrin would swear, would vow that this peace treaty would be a, a valid one, would be abided by by both sides. This they did. As soon as they got this promise, this vow, they revealed themselves as messengers of the city of Gibbon, which was very close by. Yeshua was furious. He said, you have fooled us. We have a right to attack the city, to kill you, because this vow was by error. At the same time, people would then say that Jews swear falsely. So we have no choice but to keep our promise to this treaty. However, 
the people of Gibel shall henceforth be used, employed by Jews as water carriers of slaves. They were very happy to become their water carriers of slaves rather than to be destroyed by them. And this remained as sort of a curse on the people of Gibel. Uh, later on, the other countries, other lands in Israel heard about this, especially the king of Jerusalem, together with a number of other kings, they said that Gibel had deserted them. They were traitors. Therefore, they should all join together to do battle against Gibel. People in Gibel now turned to Yeshua and said, We are allies. We ask that you protect us. Yeshua was forced to go into battle to save, to rescue Gibbon. He went into battle against the, these five kings, <coughs> King of Jerusalem and the other four kings. In this battle at the city of Gibbon, they, they saw the miracles of Hashem joining battle with them. Tremendous sized boulders fell from heaven crushed the enemy. This wasn't just like uh, bits of ice, hailstones. This was actual rocks. But giant-sized rocks fell from heaven like comets. They fell upon the enemy and destroyed them. In addition, this battle took a long time. Yeshua called out these words, Shemesh begivon dom v'yareach v'yemek in order to keep the battle going, when they could see what they were doing, he called out to the sun. Sun and Gibbon remained still. And the moon, too, if the sun would stop, we would continue, they'd clash. The moon, too, should remain where the moon is right now. And because of this, they had many hours longer which to pursue and complete this battle. Uh, the Zorah Kodesh explains this to me. He stopped time. This proves two things. It proves that scientists are wrong. That's, we don't consider it worth going into that topic. The fact that the, the Earth is stationary and the sun revolves around the Earth by telling the sun to pause, to halt, in its orbit around the Earth, this stopped time, they were able to battle for so many more hours. In addition, note that Yeshua did not say to the, to the sun, stop. He said to the sun, be still. It's already what said because the power, what gives the sun the power to move with speed in orbit? The fact that the sun itself praised Hashem. The sun, though it is inorganic, it's not a life, life-like item, Yet it does possess a brain being created by a shim, a brain knowing its creator. So the sun has a special shiva, a song of praise, that it says to Hashem constantly, without stop. Uh, the fact that it says this tefillah is what keeps the sun going. Though Yeshua said to the sun, no, be still, be silent. At the moment that it stopped saying this praise, the sun stopped moving, and that's how time stopped. The same thing too for the moon. What gave Yeshua this power to stop the sun of the moon? How did he dare to say to the sun of the moon, you stop? 
son of the Lord said to Yeshua, we are going as an order by Hashem. Hashem created us with the order that we continue always to revolve around the earth. So we are following the command of Hashem. Why should we listen to you when you are only a servant of Hashem? Yeshua's answer was, of course, I am only a servant. I am nothing. But I command, I give you this command in the name of my ancestor, who is your superior, who rules over you. Yeshua was a descendant of Yosef HaTzadik. Yosef HaTzadik's dream was he saw a sun, the moon, and the stars bowing to him. Yeshua said in the name of my ancestor Yosef HaTzadik, who is your ruler, I order you to stop. And with the credit, the merits of Yosef HaTzadik, he had this power to give them this order, and they were forced compelled to exceed. After this period of time, Yeshua was successful in destroying these uh, five kings of Israel. And from there, they went on to further battles, going through a total of 31 different kings. Israel was divided into 31 lands miniature lands with 31 kings. He went through this battle successfully and successfully wiping out one after the other. They had no trouble whatsoever and as it seems there were no casualties at all. In any battle the victors also have some casualties. They have a death list. In this case not one single Jew was killed or was even hurt. This again to demonstrate the fact that Hashem was on the side of the Jews, as long as they believed in Hashem, worshipped Hashem, and followed the mitzvahs of Hashem. The main mitzvah was Hashem told the Jews, listen to what Yeshua your leader tells you. Because Yeshua now takes the place of Moshe Rabbeinu. The last battle was in the city, one of the last battles was in the city of Hebron. In the city of Hebron, those who have been there, Though the city of Hebron is famous because it contains the Meora Samachpela, the cave of four couples, that cave where Adam and Eve are buried, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and their wives, Sarah, Rivka, and Leah. This cave of four couples makes the city also be known as the city of Kiryas Arba. Kiryas is a city of Arba of four couples. Same time, the Torah says there was a second reason why it was called Kiryas Arba, because in this city there lived the four famous giants. And these giants were the ones that the spies that Moshe Rabbeinu sent to Israel reported about. They said there are giants in this country. How can we have a battle? The Jews were frightened. They turned against Moshe Rabbeinu. For that reason, they had to die in the desert during a period of 40 years. Now Yeshua went through this city and showed the Jews how, with the help of Hashem, there was nothing to fear even from these giants. The land was divided after this among the 12 tribes of Israel. This whole process took exactly 14 years. There were seven years of battle, seven years of wars, 
in seven years in which they had people going out to measure the territories divided equally so that each one of the 12 tribes would get its portion of Israel. Actually, it was not 12 tribes. We said there were two and a half tribes who wanted to have Averhayardin, Ruvay God, and half of Manasseh, who took their portion of the land on the other side of the River Jordan, Trans Jordan. This was a proof that today, again, the Irgun is right. Irgun said we must capture Trans Jordan too. And the next one is actually our land. The United Half tribes took the rest, divided the rest of the land of Israel among themselves. And this too was decided by drawing lots, decided of course by heaven. Now these, this dividing of the land, there were certain portions that were given especially to certain people. For example, the city of Hebron was given to Kolev ben Yafune. Kolev was the one other person besides Yeshua, the twelve tribes that Moshevina sent to Israel. Ten of them came back with a bad report. Two came back with good ones. They were Yeshua and Kolev. Now Yeshua, the Torah says, Hashem told Moshevina to send these spies. And Moshevina selected one from each tribe. He took his own closest student, Yeshua, whose name at that time was Hosea. And before he left, Moshe made a blessing and changed his name to Yoshua, which means, Ko Yoshiacha, Hashem should help you, should assist you, and rescue you from this evil plan of the spies. So that Yoshua was now fortified, immune against this evil. What about Kolev, his partner? Here the Torah tells us, the Gemara says that Kolev did not get this blessing, but he had this strong, solid faith. The Abuna was the same as Yoshua's, and he he feared falling into this trap of the spies, so that he went alone through the dangerous sections of Hebron, where these giants were, taking the greatest possible risk. It was a practically 100% chance of being killed by these giants, yet he risked his life to get to the cave of four couples. There he prayed at this cave. He asked the Avos, fathers of the Jews, to help him, to rescue him from the plan of these spies. Again, we see, this has brought many this far, that there are some people who doubt the value of going to visit these holy places in Israel or anywhere to visit the graves of Tzadikim. We find that this was done so far back. Kolev's success in being saved from falling victim to the plan of the miracle of the spies was due to the fact that he visited the, grave, the graves of the Tzadikim. Now this teaches us, as Zorik Kodesh says, that a Jew who wants to be helped can get no greater help than going to the graves of Sadiqan asking them to pray for him, to enlist, solicit their aid. But it's worth mentioning here, in reference to that point, that the students of Rabbi Yechoyzal asked him, isn't there a Pasuk in the Torah which says 
that there is an Easter, a sin to be Doresh El Hamesim, to enlist the aid of the dead. You go to the cemetery to speak to the dead, that's one of the major sins in the Torah. How could you then go to the graves of these Sadiqim and speak to them, or in a sense pray to them? You're supposed to pray to Hashem. How do you ask the dead to help? Shemei Choyazal said, his reply was, Chasvashol. This question itself is a sinful question. <coughs> because the Torah stresses time and again that we can never apply the word dead to a tzaddik. Who is dead? Only a Russia. An evil person is considered dead even while he's alive. He's considered a base. Ibar Brachos says that when we speak about a murderer who's supposed to get a death penalty, it says, you must have A death penalty is meted out to a person who is guilty only if there are two witnesses who testify that they saw the actual murder. But the sentence says, through two witnesses, shall this guilty person be put to death. How does the Torah say guilty person? Mace. This dead person shall be put to death with the testimony of two witnesses. Yomara says he is called a dead person. Why? Because he is a murderer, he is a criminal, he is a Russia wicked person. He is called dead, though he is still alive. Whereas, a tzaddik, even after his passing, is called chai, alive. So that this is no case of Doresh al Hamisa when you go to the grave of a tzaddik. He is not dead. He is called alive, and he cannot be included in that statement. Secondly, said, if people would realize that any person today could not exist for half a day, that's the exact words used, a person today could not exist for half a day of this world without the help of the prayers of tzaddikim in Ganesha. It is due to their prayers that we are able to continue <coughs> living here. Without their prayers, there would be such a, an evil force against us that we couldn't live more than half a day. So since it is their prayers that maintain us, then surely we should solicit their prayers by going to their grave, asking them, enlisting their aid, and interesting them in our plight. How much better off is a person who has these sadiqim to assist him through with their prayers than one who tries to make it on his own. Therefore, the midst of going to the graves of sadiqim, especially in Eretz Yisrael, where you have the graves of the fathers of the Jews, the graves of the kings of the Jews, King David, the graves of the prophets, the graves of most of the rabbis of the Gemara. Every one of these graves is extremely sacred, and it is a very great privilege to go there and pray. This is what we meant, and we said the names that were taken from here were all mentioned at many of these sacred places in Israel. The past trips there. The final word of Yeshua before his passing was to leave a tzavah. Last will the testament where he told the Jews, we have been successful, we shall be successful forever if you continue to have faith in Hashem, live up to the mitzvahs of the Torah, and never desert this faith. As long as you do that, you'll be able to live as a leading people on earth, no one
can eject you from Eretz Yisrael. It's only your old deeds if you turn to the wrong path, where you'll find yourselves lost, a lost people, and just as easily as Hashem established you in Israel, so easily can He have you ousted. That's for sure. This we have seen in subsequent chapters of history. But we know too that Hashem has promised the moment that the Jews turn back to Hashem, they are the ones that were chosen by were chosen by Hashem for the land of Israel. These two go together. The Jews belong there to study the Torah there, to worship Hashem there. We have full confidence and faith that this victory is forthcoming. We should be so good to see it with our eyes. Very shortly we're coming in Mashiach. We'll see the rebuilding of the base of Iknosh. We can enjoy the glory that is due us as the Abisra.